Hi, I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. It's to illuminate the absence, to illuminate the darkness, it's to illuminate those parts of Britain and lives that have not been seen by other people. Everyone has a story to tell, and yet for a long time in this country we've allowed far too many stories to go unheard. People have had their voices silenced because of the colour of their skin, their race, their ethnicity. A wealth of knowledge has been denied the opportunity to flourish. As we know from our conversation with Professor Sunny Singh in Series 1, though we've seen great progress in recent years, even today many people still face barriers when it comes to getting a seat at the table. For diverse perspectives to become mainstream, we can no longer wait for the world to catch up. Measures must be taken to advance the agenda. And that's where Writer's Mosaic comes in. It's an online platform that showcases work from the wide breadth of cultures and literary voices in the UK. Its director, Colin Grant, spent 25 years at the BBC before he was approached to be part of the project two years ago. Since then, he's recorded numerous interviews and worked with a whole host of different writers to get ready to launch Writer's Mosaic. And I'm delighted to say that not only has it arrived, but Colin is here to tell us about it. Chapter 1. A Big Tent One of my personal inspirations is Seleni Henry. He and I did the same screenwriting course at Royal Holloway several years apart. His research into the portrayal of black people in fictional sports programs was a real eye-opener for me, and it's informed my writing ever since. It's clear to see just how critically important an initiative like Writer's Mosaic is. The mandate to fill this gaping hole in the literary world will not only create opportunities, level the playing field, and give people a stronger voice, it will also raise awareness of the stories we've been missing out on. This project is funded by the Royal Literary Fund, and I think they woke up to the idea that they weren't doing enough for writers of colour. We don't really like to use the word BAME or black because we're porous and we're inclusive. And one of the things I've recognised over the 30 years that I've been writing is that there are few platforms for writers of colour to develop their skills. And this primarily is, is going to be the function of writing the egg. It's going to be a huge platform where people can be invited to be profiled with our editorial team, uh, all Royal Literary Fund fellows, including Gabriel Badamosi, will be honing their skills and, and nurturing their talents. And I've recognised in, in 30 years of writing that um, I've been very lucky in the last 10 or 15 years, but for the first 15 years, uh, nobody was interested in me. I remember the very first time I approached an agent who I admired, sent him my work, and he wrote back very quickly to say that he was not interested in ethnic writing. And I was quite surprised because I didn't know that I was writing ethnic writing. I was just writing. And so there are various uh, domain assumptions out there in the publishing world in Britain, which have been diminished over the patches of time, but they're not completely diminished. They're still impediments to people like me getting into the publishing world and getting our books out there. And we are going to be uh, enablers. We're going to enable more people like me, more people like Gable and our children and their children to uh, find an outlet for their egress and for their their talents and for their writing. So it's going to be transformative, I think, and I think will become the industry standard. People will be coming to us to fill the gaps in their own knowledge because I think what happens also 
in publishing and in broadcasting is that the people who are the commissioners don't know enough and they rely on their own limited knowledge to uh, source potential writers. But actually, if they come to us, if they come to Rise Mosaic, they'll find that they, the resources are, are wide and rich. So uh, we're going to be a big tent and invite everybody in. I think there's something wonderfully disruptive about what you're doing. And I like the fact that if the system isn't working and if the system isn't capable of changing itself, then we will create something else that does work for us. I, I, do, I do feel that the level of disruption that Writers Mosaic and hopefully other platforms like it, I think that it would be, I don't want us to lose the fact that we're having to be deliberately disruptive in order to solve a problem that isn't solving itself. We shouldn't lose sight of that, should we? No, and it's tempting, isn't it? Because in a way, the argument for self-sufficiency is an attractive one. Don't wait for someone to do something for you, do it for yourself. And in a way, it's also distracting because I'm constitutionally built to be on the losing side. I don't really like winning. I like being an also-ran. I like being in opposition. And now to have your hands on the levers of social control is a bit distracting for me because I'm not used to it. But um, I think what is important is that we don't replicate the way that these institutions have worked in the past. We don't construct our own narrow portal for people to enter into um, our our organisation, our platform. And also, I think it's important as what you're saying is we don't lose sight of uh, of what has gone on historically. We're not necessarily trying to act as a corrective to what's gone on in the past. And we will make known that we are not just forging on and creating new stuff and having new ideas, but we are actually going to be reflecting on the past as well. There will be kind of slow reviews looking at books that came out in the past, or there'll be features about why there was an absence of the black voice or the, the voice of colour in the past. So it's important that we don't wipe the slate clean and say we're starting again um, without realising that we're not starting from a position of power, we're starting from a position where we've been disempowered for many, many years. Yes, I've had a number of conversations recently, Colin, about the arts and the state that it finds itself in because of lockdown. And I have tried to say repeatedly that COVID-19 has been responsible for many, many awful things. But a lot of what the arts is talking about has always been true in terms of the problem that the industry has had. COVID was not responsible for the lack of opportunity or the problems with diversity. It wasn't responsible for Me Too or, or people having to work without pay. And if I were a tech billionaire looking to save you know, the arts, I would have a pretty long list of conditions and assurances that I wanted to make sure that the industry could fix itself. And I think it's too easy for us to say, oh, it's great. We've got writer's mosaic. All the problems are fixed. We can all carry on. It's a, I don't want to detract from what I'm, I'm sure will be a huge success for writer's mosaic, but it is vital that we pause and reflect on why writer's mosaic exists in the first place. I agree. And um, what we need to consider is systemic change. Because there have been initiatives like this in the past, which, unlike Writer's Mosaic, because I think Writer's Mosaic is going to be here to stay, it's going to be a, a long-term investment, but there have been initiatives in the past that have been a bit tokenistic. Those initiatives have sometimes funded people who um, haven't then been supported, so they've come and gone. And some of the people who've initially benefited from these smaller initiatives in the past have been set up to fail. They get a bit of attention, uh, they get um, some money, uh, they get some traction, and then... 
they produce something subsequently which isn't very good and nobody pays any attention to them. So we are here to ensure that kind of peak and trough doesn't continue, uh, doesn't become the model. But yes, I think we're, we're not going to be the only organization. We're not wanting to be the only organization that helps to fix this problem. I think we are going to be a node and there'll be other organizations, there'll be other collections of people like us. But what we're hoping is to establish a kind of collegiate atmosphere or a collegiate environment where we, we find like-minded people who will be able to um, continue this movement. When I was growing up, my mother always said to me, look for your people. And I think... Um, I found my people in Writers Mosaic, but also I found my people amongst the um, Black Writers Guild. Um, I found my people amongst Speaking Volumes, Spread the Word. There are lots of other interesting organizations out there which are providing a wide and deep resource for changing or tweaking the culture in which, we find, which, in which we find ourselves. But I think we are the culture now. I mean, for many, many years, I think people of my parents' generation have been in the margins. And slowly but surely, we've moved to the center. And when um, Gabriel Badamosi talks about us being the future, he's right. Gabriel Badamosi is right. We are the future, but we're also the present. A few months ago, Mark, I went to the Tate Britain to see the show by Steve McQueen called Year Three. On the wall, 70% of all the children at schools in London were represented on the walls of the Tate Britain. And I'd say almost half of them were children of color. And so it's really lovely um, to see those people, those faces on the wall. And in the past, they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been invited to be on the wall. Um, so I think that marks a change. And also what we're doing marks a change. And I just think this is a kind of a, a groundswell that can't now be stopped. So yes, we, we, must, we must be aware that there's still pitfalls out there. But I think um, I feel very confident that um, we've reached or we are reaching a tipping point where it becomes a no-brainer that uh, organizations like Writer Mosaic must be uh, seen to be representing the change that must come. Chapter 2. A Celebration It's important that we remember an initiative like Writer's Mosaic isn't just good for writers of colour, it's good for all writers, and readers too. When we're able to reflect on what and who our country really is, we expand our way of thinking. That not only leads to a more interesting and compelling range of narratives for us to sink our teeth into, but it also allows us to live in a more accepting, understanding and collaborative society. In fact, Professor Sunny Singh put it to me beautifully. Reflect the world around you. Don't be afraid. Write us. You might get us wrong, but write us. But also then do the hard work. Don't replicate just the same old stereotypes. The simplest way to do it is read us. If you're not reading queer writers, if you're not reading you know, writers of colour, if you're not reading non-British writers, if you're not reading women writers, you're limiting yourself. And whatever you're producing as your work that you may think is great is really poor craft. Sexist, homophobic, racist, imperialist writing, ableist writing is a failure of craft. It's shit writing. That's it. I'm lucky enough to have peered behind the scenes at Writer's Mosaic. And in one of the stories, written by Johnny Pitts, the writer talks about his teenage years, being called in by the police every other week to feature in the lineups of identity parades whenever a witness said they'd seen a black person. He says, my identity was literally a parade. 
And it's insight like this that makes me truly understand the opportunity that this initiative has to reshape the way we look at the world. What Rod of Zeg and people like Johnny Pitts will be able to do is to illuminate the absence, to illuminate the darkness, it's to illuminate those uh, parts of Britain and lives that have not been seen by other people. So they'll actually be enriching the sense of us being a very vibrant, varied culture. But it all depends on being able, as you say, to be able to, to write us and to be read. And in the past, I think the problem has been that the commissioners, when you go and get a possible book to be sold, you have to pitch it to the acquisitions team. And they are not aware of the lives that Johnny Pitts is writing about. And so they don't recognize that as being worthy of something that would be published. But what's happening, I think, with Rise of Mosaic and other changes in the industry, that's that people are being asked to put to one side their domain assumptions about the, the narrowness of their lives and to think about being in other people's shoes. So in a way, what Johnny Pitts is writing about is empathy, is about sympathy and understanding and to be able to, to step beyond your own comfortable life and to think about others. And through Rodham's Egg and people like Johnny Pitts, if people read them, they will actually see that uh, A, there's nothing to fear, but B, there's much to be gained from proxying into the rich lives that you are otherwise unaware of. Yes, absolutely. We have representations of families of colour on film and television that give us a very small part of the the spectrum that could be covered. Um, and sometimes those uh, illust- those examples are helpful. Sometimes they're not. And I think that if there is a chance to see Britain as it really is, whatever that might uncover, and we shouldn't, you know, shy away from the fact that some of the things that we uncover might maybe may make us feel deeply uncomfortable. And again, I think that would be a good thing. But if we can see Britain as it really is, not the way we actually think it is, I think that that could have a hugely transformative effect. Could I ask you about the Royal Literary Fund who have put their name to this? What um, what expectations or, or, or considerations or, or, or demands, for the want of a better word, have they put on Writer's Mosaic? Have they, have they sort of said what we want for our money? They haven't been as blunt as that, Mark, but um, the way I see them, um, they're benign patrons in a way. I was thinking about this recently because I worked for many, many years as a radio producer in the BBC, starting off in the BBC World Service. And 60-odd years ago, there was a programme on the BBC World Service called Caribbean Voices, which was a programme broadcasting from London, from Bush House, to the world, to the colonies. And that programme gave a start to many of the writers who we know today, many of the famous writers from the Caribbean, Derek Walcott, George Lemming, Sam Selvon, V.S. Naipaul, all got their start with this wonderful program called Caribbean Voices, which lasted for 15 years. And it provided a platform for them to be able to hone their skills, but also to tell their stories to listeners who were eager for them. And... After 15 years, the BBC decided to bring that programme to an end. And I remember the uh, programme because I've listened to some of the archive. And the announcer, after 15 years, said the BBC was bringing this uh, wonderful project to an end because the children had outgrown the patronage of the parent. 
So in other words, they didn't need the leg up that the BBC was providing them with. I see the Royal Literary Fund as an example of what the BBC was doing for Caribbean Voices. They are providing money. Uh, they're providing people like me to help shape the direction of this organisation. But they are giving us, and we are demanding, and we will uh, only really exist if we have editorial independence. So we are in a very uh, comfortable position in a way that um, they uh, have deep pockets and are prepared to fund because the remit and the mission of the, the Royal Literary Fund is to find ways to help writers exist. I mean, they, when, they, when they started several hundred years ago, it was to get writers out of jail, out of debtors' prison. And so each year they find more reasons and more ways to, to disseminate their ideas, but also to dispense their funds. So they recognise, I think, that there's vicarious pleasure and glory to be attached to Writer's Mosaic, but they're not going to put their stamp on Writer's Mosaic. Um, the, this is not a, a kind of a literary version of greenwashing. This is a, a, a long-term investment to the realisation that, to, as we say in Jamaica, all are we as one. This is not just for the black people, Dem. They're not throwing a few, a few dollars our way and us gratefully picking them up. They are investing in people who are part of this country and have not had enough investment in the past. Um, so I think they are altruistic. It's very unusual to find an altruistic body that has no, no strings attached. But really, other than uh, producing good work, uh, which we will do, there are no other conditions. Chapter three, expectation. I don't think it's too grand a statement to say that good storytelling has the power to change lives. And on the flip side, bad storytelling has the power to reinforce hurtful stereotypes, create divisions and perpetuate myths. Right now, it's clear that there are certain things we expect from stories that feature or are written by people of colour. All too often, we've come to expect those stories to be entirely wrapped up in race, as if they're telling no other part of the story. That's why, for Colin, part of his excitement about Writer's Mosaic stems from the ability to shift perspectives. There'll be writing that's going to be humorous. There'll be gothic stories. There'll be children's stories. There'll be um, anarchic stories. There'll be mischievous stories. There won't just be stories about being victims or about being perpetrators of violence, uh, which is... Uh, I think, sadly, often the case uh, in our culture. But I'm also excited by the fact that there are going to be opportunities for many younger people. I'm excited for my children. I've got three children who are all young adults. And I think they are much more savvy than I was when I was a young person. But there are more opportunities for them in a funny way. Um, and we mustn't forget that um, there's still possibilities to fail. Many people will fail, obviously. But I, I'm excited about the fact that they won't have so many doors slammed in their faces as I did when I was growing up. Although I think that toughened me up. And I think um, sometimes we uh, we have to be aware that um, difficulties or rejections can be uh, good source material. I was on a platform uh, a few years ago at the South Bank talking about the 60s and the 70s and how tricky they were. And um, my son, who's uh, then 17, was in the audience, and he asked a question. We posed the point, and he blamed me for not being a very good father. And by that, he meant I'd been too good a father. I'd made life too comfortable for him. 
and he recognized that if he was going to be an artist, he wanted a bit of discomfort as well. So I don't want to make life so rosy for uh, people on uh, writing there because, um, in a way, there needs to be a bit of grit. Uh, you need to have a little bit of uh, anxiety, unsurety, uh, determination to change things for yourselves in order to write in a way. So we've got to have some sort of balance where we um, we help to nurture, but we don't take away people's spirit. We don't take away people's edge. Uh, but fundamentally, I think what will happen is that um, people will begin to see that um, there are not pockets, they're not isolated pockets in our in our culture of unfamiliarity. There aren't isolated pockets where, where people will say, well, that's not for me, that's just for black people, or that's just for gay people, or that's just for Muslim people. Um, I'm hoping that um, that notion of ghettoization will disappear with something like Ratim Zayat, because... Um, there won't be any more ghettos. There won't be any kind of uh, little sidelines that um, the publishing houses will create just to give themselves a little bit of kudos. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that actually there will be an intergenerational discussion as well through Writer Mosaic, that we won't just be offering the candy of young people, which often happens in publishing. They get some young, hot person, they're attractive, they shower them with praise to the expense of the middle-aged, uglier people. We're going to be a platform where everybody is invited. We're not leaving any anybody on the doorstep for the wolves. Yeah, excellent. Um, I know this is a, a long-term venture uh, and hopefully a permanent one, um, but what what practically can we expect to see um, post go live and, and th- throughout the rest of 2020 what what have you got I- events planned is there a big launch what can we expect yeah, to see Colin? we're going to have lots of launches around the country actually in the first month we're going to have a, a launch in, in london at a, a new venue called home uh, which is a new gallery space up in finsbury park uh, run by the photographer rona mckenzie uh, there'll be events in Glasgow, the CCA in Glasgow, there'll be events in Cardiff, in Nottingham, and in Manchester in the first few months. But we'll see also that the platform will be a publishing platform because we're going to also be commissioning reviews. So if you were to proxy into Rise of Zeke, you'll see reviews of books by Kai Miller, who's a great writer of essays and a poet. You'll see books written by people who might not necessarily be reviewed in The Guardian or The Observer or The Times or some of the mainstream papers, not just because they're bad or, or that they're mediocre, but because those spaces are few and have very few pages in which they can review books. So we're going to be writing a platform for really worthy, well-written books that won't necessarily get attention elsewhere, but also we're going to be reviewing films, TV, plays, and we're going to be having lots of opportunities for people to read and get to know and feel and sense the value of a particular writer. So each week, the platform will profile a writer and that writer will be given a chance to write some essays or write some poems or to write a bit of fiction. Because often I think, Mark, what happens is if you don't know a writer and you, and you are presented with a, a book, that may be several hundred pages, unless there's some easy way in you might not even pick up that book but if you get a sense before that book appears of what that writer can do what that writer is interested in then you might be tempted thereafter so we're going to be in a way educating and informing the 
taste of the uh, the reading public in in this country, which is one of the remits also of the Royal Literary Fund. But um, you'll just see, I think, a, a growing sense of the richness of writing from people of colour in this country over the coming months. And we've just started a new slot on the platform, which we're calling Spotlights, where we're going to be inviting writers to reflect on things that are of current concern. So, for instance, Roger Robinson, the great poet of Trinidadian and British origin who won the uh, T.S. Eliot Prize, uh, he's written a poem called Grace, which is about the value to this culture, to this country of nurses from elsewhere, Caribbean nurses, uh, nurses from Thailand, as a celebration of their work and the value that they do at a time when the government is thinking of giving, giving them a rise of 1%. And so we will have these sort of reactions. We will be reacting to current events through literature, through poetry, through prose. And I think we'll be giving people a different take on some of the news stories that they they may only access through the Today programme or the editorial of The Sun. We'll be giving them a, a, another way of looking. Well, it, it's been an absolute privilege to have a quick peek behind the scenes. I can't wait to get my hands on on on, on everything. It sounds, it sounds fascinating. It sounds full of joy, full of celebration. It sounds absolutely necessary. It's been a real pleasure, Colin. We wish you the greatest of success with uh, not just Writers Mosaic, but indeed your own writing. We'd love to have you back perhaps next year so that we can do a recap on, on how the first 12 months have been. But it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. And we're very, very delighted that you've taken the time to consider what Writers Mosaic is and can be. Thank you. Conclusion. A massive thank you then to Colin Grant for today's episode. And to recap, what have we learnt? Become an enabler. If you're looking for your next collaboration, try branching out from your usual approach and include diversity in your mandate. Join forces with a writer whose perspective differs from your own and you'll add a new layer of complexity to your writing. When you're writing a story about overcoming adversity or modern day acceptance, don't lose sight of what's gone on in the past. It's essential we celebrate the great strides we've made as a society, but we must remember and write about what it's taken to get us here. Read stories written by people of colour. Read about people of colour. It's so easy to stick to what we know, to fall back on the same authors we've read time and again. But you'll learn so much more by venturing out of your traditional, and dare I say, comfortable zone. And finally, as the saying goes, do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Colin isn't saying Writer's Mosaic will make things easy but it will break down barriers which shouldn't be there. Remember, as a writer, some adversity in your life is necessary to fan the flames of creativity. If you haven't suffered, how can you write suffering? Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. Let us know what lesson you've taken away from this week's episode and do share any suggestions for future guests or discussions. We'd love to hear from you. You can either give us a like or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at Behind the Spine. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by Oli Giyu Podcast Production. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.